disclaim it, Patty. <laughs> the contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Disclaimed. <laughs> today on the lab report, Dr. Tom O'Brien. Finally, we're going to talk about gluten today. This is going to be awesome. Autoimmunity. Hang on to your hats. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So I'm watching this YouTube on how to remove a circuit breaker. What? what why are you removing so, a circuit breaker? And so they say, you don't want to touch this part because you will die. <laughs> and you will die. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How you doing? I'm doing great, but I'm scared for your well-being. I think you should hire an electrician. No, I'm just I'm, putting it out there. I'm doing great. I'm going to figure this out. It's no big deal. It is the first <laughs> DIY where the, wow. where death is a potential. Well. But... Uh, I mean, I fixed some stuff under the car. You get under the car, you know? Yeah. With the car up on jacks, you get uh-huh. scared sometimes there. But this this is probably the Michael. the most I'm going to be scared. Michael I'm going to get some Chapman, gloves. It's going to be fine. hire an electrician. I got my beneficiaries on file. <laughs> anyway, this is a podcast. It's brought to you by Genova mm-hmm. Diagnostics. It's called The Lab Report. Yep. And uh, it's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics. And it might be my last one. <laughs> well, if you're new, welcome. And if you're returning... Please stay, stick around because we may not have Michael after... T- when is this happening? You'll this find weekend? someone better. After this weekend? You'll find <laughs> no, someone better. I won't. It'll be good. <laughs> well, welcome, and hopefully you'll go to iTunes or Spotify and perhaps leave us some stars, rate and review. Though, our reviews disappeared That's It's strange. What happened on, it's on strange. the Apple podcast platform? Yeah, I know. Things it's, got weird. Apple apparently does not like us anymore. <laughs> We've been very careful not to upset Apple, and yet you know what? Maybe there were so many good reviews that it overwhelmed the system, and it just has to. Catch I'm assuming up. that's what that's it is. It. Yeah. I'm sure they have no safeguards for volume, and they're fixing this, by the way. So, since you can't do reviews on Apple iTunes, just send them to us. Mm-hmm. Let us know that they're still out there. Email we're them. feeling very <laughs> naked and alone without our reviews. <laughs> so send them to podcast at gdx.net, and we look forward to seeing all your pleasantries. Yes, yes. And today we have a very special show. We have one of the OGs of functional medicine here, Dr. Tom O'Brien, who is an expert in gluten and wheat-related diseases. Dr. Tom O'Brien, he's a pioneer, well-spoken, passionate, and mm-hmm. man, he, he's got so much to say. I just want to get to it. I just want to hear what he has to say. We've been let's waiting go. so long to get him on here. Get him on. Let's, let's go. not waste any time. I mean, let's, let's just, just not. go. Let's not. Patty. Yeah. We have Dr. Tom O'Brien. Finally. I know, right? So um, let me just read a little bit of it. I mean, I, everyone knows we Dr. Know Tom it. O'Brien. Right. But, you know, for right. just for safety's sake, <laughs> Dr. Thomas O'Brien is a graduate of the University of Michigan and the National College of Chiropractic. He is an internationally recognized and sought after speaker and workshop leader specializing in wheat, its impact on health, and the development of autoimmune diseases. Dr. O'Brien holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences, and he is trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and autoimmune disease. In November 2016, Dr. O'Brien released the highly acclaimed docuseries Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you, an investigation into the global effects of issues underlying the autoimmune system and chronic disease. And his groundbreaking book, The Autoimmune Fix, won the National Book Award and ranked first in several categories on Amazon. The book outlines the step-by-step development of degenerative diseases and gives us the tools to identify our disease processes years before the symptoms are obvious. Dr. O'Brien is founder of thedoctor.com and the visionary behind the Gluten Summit, A Grain of Truth, which brings together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide range of symptoms. And you can find out more at thegluten-summit.com. And with that, Welcome, thank you so Dr. much, O'Brien. Dr. O'Brien. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. We were saying before uh, we turned it on that uh, I'm one of the uh, old guys with Genova when it was Great Smokies and um, (laughs) was such a critically important tool in the uh, development of our confidence in this thing called functional medicine Mm -hmm. in the very early days Mm -hmm. to have documentable results from tests that were so outside the norm, Mm -hmm. but extremely valuable 
that um, uh, uh, Genova carries a history of being a critical component in the development of functional medicine worldwide. We, well, appreciate, we that. appreciate that for sure. But yeah. Michael and I want to say, we know you're one of the pioneers of functional medicine in general. And, and Michael and I personally, as well as many of our audience, have learned so much from you through IFM and your books. But first, to start this conversation, I want to take it all the way back to your college days because you studied Aikido, which <laughs> appears to have shaped your life trajectory. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs> uh, Aikido. Um, is the martial art that came out of Japan that was the culmination of centuries of, um, uh, how would I say this, conscious development of the martial artist mm -hmm. so that he's not just someone that can beat somebody up mm -hmm. or become a killer, but rather find a way of getting closer to the divine. And that's conscious development, whether it's in sports or whether it's in a work environment where you're expressing love through your work or in martial arts. So the premise of Aikido is that there is never an energy the Aikido practitioner puts out towards another, ever. Hmm. That it's only if energy is coming towards you that you pivot out of the way and redirect that energy so that it, it's you protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And the result is it's extremely effective. And if you wanted to, you could immobilize someone. I mean, my ex-wife, that's where we met, was uh, our first date was I took her to this demonstration. I said, you know, I heard that this Japanese guy's in town. Uh, this was in Ann Arbor, and and uh, he does this martial art that looks really cool in you know movies. So mm -hmm. you want to go? And that was our first date, and we decided <laughs> let's do this together. Cool. And, and so we dove into it a hundred percent. And the result was it led me eventually to chiropractic because um, I knew I wanted to go into healthcare when I became engaged. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor, and I thought about osteopathy, and I was invited to Kirksville uh, in Missouri, a very famous osteopathic school at the time. But I just didn't like the energy. I just didn't mm. like the idea of hospitals and working in hospitals. And so um, uh, I was led to chiropractic. And the premise of chiropractic is get the blockage out of the way. Mm -hmm. and let the body heal itself. And back then, that was the philosophy. Now we know there's a lot of science to musculoskeletal complaints and joints that aren't working properly and muscles that are too shortened and all that. But we didn't know that back then uh, in the 70s. And the basic premise was get the blockage out of the way. And it turns out that's what functional medicine is. Right. Yep. It's the exact same thing, you know, uh, 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 um, some of our founders in functional med medicine would say, you got to get the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in so the body can do what it's meant to do. Right. So I think there's been a consistency in what has attracted me um, throughout my lifetime. Interesting. That is interesting. That is, right? Um, well, and it's, you know, certainly... Most people in the functional medicine integrative space that we're talking to are super familiar with your work as it relates to autoimmunity. But, you know, one interesting thing is that during the last year and a half during this pandemic, everyone's been hyper focused on the immune system and ways to optimize it. So and you happen to be kind of a key opinion leader on on the topic. So how do you explain to people the immune system versus autoimmunity when you're talking to your patients? Ah, that's a really good question. Mrs. Patient. <laughs> your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. Mm -hmm. There's an army, a navy, an air force, a marines, a coast guard. We call them IgA, IgG, IgE, IgM, uh, lymphocyte response. Uh, there are many, many different branches of the immune system, but it's there to protect you. That's the first platform understanding. The second basis of understanding is that your body is exactly the same as your ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm. Our kidneys function the same, our adrenals function the same, our thyroid, our, our brain, we use our brains more and so we've got comfort and housing and protection and food production, but our bodies function the same. And the immune system 
for our ancestors was designed around one thing, and that was protection. And it was protection from bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. And that's what our immune system today is designed to do, is protect us from bugs, parasites, viruses, molds, fungus, and bacteria. It cannot do something specific for bisphenol A, hmm. BPA. It can't do something specific for high levels of lead. Hmm. It's going to treat it like a bug, parasite, virus, mold, fungus, or bacteria, meaning it's going to kill it. It's going to do what it can to kill it. That's what cytokines are for. These inflammatory cytokines are to destroy a cell. And because we have the same immune system as our ancestors, and that's critically important, so let's just dive right into it. The, the problem with wheat, and it's not just gluten, most of the early studies were on gluten, but the problem with wheat is that poorly digested wheat, and humans can't digest wheat completely, we, we don't have the enzymes, poorly digested wheat, as it comes out of the stomach, that is where the centuries are standing guard in the first part, the proximal part of the small intestine. Mm -hmm. Because if our ancestors, their main concerns were food, housing, and safety. So they're foraged for food. They find something, they pick it up, they sniff it, they nibble on it to taste it, and then they eat it. And if there's pathogenic bacteria, not enough to smell bad, and they couldn't identify it, hydrochloric acid is supposed to kill it. But if hydrochloric acid in our stomach doesn't kill it, and the, this bacteria our, for our ancestors came into the small intestine, that's where the sentry is standing guard, right there. And so if it sees the amino acid structure of the surface of a parasite, it immediately does two things. Now that sentry is called toll-like receptor four. Humans have nine different toll-like receptors. Toll-like receptor four is for bugs. And so toll-like receptor four in the proximal part of the small intestine gets activated immediately, and it does two things. It increases production of zonulin. That's the protein that the more zonulin you have, the more intestinal permeability you have. Right. You know, intestinal permeability is not bad for you. We need it. Excessive intestinal permeability is bad for you. Right. And that's what we call the leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So it activates leaky gut, transient intestinal permeability. Why? So that water comes from the lymphatics and from the bloodstream into the lumen of the intestine to wash out this bug. Just, it's like a garden hose. Mm -hmm. You put your thumb over the end of a garden hose, now you have a spray to wash the mud off the driveway. Mm -hmm. And so zonulin is like putting your thumb on the garden hose to wash out this bug that the sentry says, we got an invader here, we have an invader. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that toll-like receptor four activates the major amplifier of inflammation, NF-kappa B. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, back in the 60s, why did they call them garage bands? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, our parents would yell at us and say, get that, those <laughs> amplifiers out of here. Right. Put them out the garage, right? And we'd have to take extension cords and plug them in through the window of the bedroom and hook extension cords together to go out to the garage to plug in our amplifiers. And we blow fuses and all that, but <laughs> amplifiers were too loud, right? NF-kappa B is the major amplifier of inflammation in the body. It's the primary amplifier. It turns out many of the other cytokines, IL-1 beta, IL-6, and the list goes on and on. So wheat, coming out of the stomach into the proximal part of the small intestine activates toll-like receptor four, which then activates zonulin production and NF-kappa B. Now, Maureen Leonard is a famous gastroenterologist at Harvard. And in 2017, she published in arguably the most prestigious journal in medical journal in the English language, the Journal of the American Medical Association, she published in there a review of, I think it was 64, maybe 67 studies. I don't remember the number of studies on this topic. And the summary, and you, you just read it, it's in JAMA. 
the, the, the summary, um, gluten activates in transient intestinal permeability in all individuals who consume it. Mm-hmm. That means every listener, whether you feel it or not, is irrelevant. And as you start reading the science, for every one person that has gut symptoms with a wheat-related disorder, there are eight that don't. They've got brain symptoms or skin symptoms or joint symptoms or kidney symptoms or vision symptoms or hearing symptoms. They don't have gut symptoms, so they eat wheat and they think they're fine. So you can't determine whether something is good for you or not by how your stomach feels when you eat it. Hmm. That, if, if that's your criteria as a practitioner as to whether to check for a wheat-related disorder, you'll find one out of eight. Sure. Hmm. Right. Wow. So that's the dynamic, uh, and it's it's unarguable. Just read the science. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there was an interesting study that came out a couple of years ago, and they they took people on both sides of the fence on capital punishment. You know, there were those that are for it and those that are against it, and they showed both groups a study that was positive for capital punishment, the benefits of capital punishment. And of course, the people who were for capital punishment praised the study. And those that were against it found faults in the research. Then they showed a different study to both groups that was against capital punishment. And of course, the people who were against capital punishment praised the research. But they found faults, and the people that were for capital punishment found faults with the research. Mm-hmm. That we read, that's like my first mentor was George Goodhart. And Dr. Goodhart used to say, look with eyes that see, listen with ears that hear. So what I've just told you, every one of our listeners, if you do the footwork to just go read a couple of the studies and you see that what I'm telling you is 100% accurate and you still don't consider gluten with any inflammatory condition, Mm then you're in that category of you want to read what supports what you already believe. Sure. And, you know, and Mm. I I hate to be so aggressive and in your face, (laughs) but people are sick and dying out there. Mm -hmm. And what you believe is irrelevant to what the science says. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not have some skill set that you use that science hasn't caught up on. But read Maureen Leonard's article, Every Individual that eats wheat develops transient intestinal permeability. And it's within five minutes of wheat coming out of the stomach into the proximal part of the small intestine. Detlef Chupan and a team from Harvard and co-authored with somebody at the University of Germany, they show confocal endomicroscopy. The videos are great because you, uh, and it's a camera going down into the small intestine Mm -hmm. and it's at electron microscopic level. And they're right up against the lining of the intestines. And they took people who were complete failures uh, to uh, Rome 3 classified irritable bowel syndrome at Harvard for over a year. Complete failure, suffering every day. And the, the, these brilliant gastroenterologists said, you know, maybe food has something to do with it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Imagine that. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because your bowels are irritated. Maybe it's food. <laughs> and so they they checked wheat, dairy, yeast, and soy. And what they found, you see this. You see that when the wheat comes into the first part of the small intestine, within five minutes, here's intestinal permeability. They, they had injected a dye into uh, a vein that goes right through the musculature of the intestine. So you, from inside the lumen, you can see a little bit of white um, on the walls as the dye's going through. But when they put wheat in the lumen of the intestines, all of a sudden you see the white leaking out into the lumen of the intestines. And you see a kind of a burst and then out comes the dye, little bits of the dye. You're seeing leaky gut in reverse. And wow. I mean, when, when you see, and Chupan and his team said, this change was visible to all in the room. Hmm. That's the geek way of saying, holy cow, Batman, look at <laughs> <Right>. this. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, so 
it's it's irrefutable yeah. that this happens in every individual. And then they publish studies that show with um, uh, wheat amylase trypsin inhibitors, another component of wheat that activates toll-like receptor four. It's not just gluten. There are a number of components of wheat that do that. The amylase trypsin inhibitors activate toll-like receptor four in the proximal part of the small intestine in nanogram levels. That's a billionth of a gram. Yeah. Wow. And that's the whole contamination issue and why mm -hmm. celiacs don't heal on a gluten-free diet and all of that. You know, it's sure. a whole nother topic. Sure. You know, I've got a uh, uh, eight to 10 hour online program that people go through and they, they get certified as gluten-free practitioners. And there's over 350 studies in there, study after study. And you just, oh my God, I, I didn't know this. Wow, wow, wow. So that's the world of wheat and wheat-related disorders yeah. and how it activates leaky gut. One more thing I'll say, and then we can go on to your other questions. <laughs> answer me this, doctor. I understand mostly as clinicians here. Ask, answer me this, doctor. What comes into your office that is not a chronic inflammatory condition? Hmm. I don't see anybody Nothing. like that. Right. <laughs> oh, Michael. It, exactly. Right. Exactly. Almost everything. Yep. Now, there's a rare exception. If you have a sodium deficiency, it causes shrinkage in your brain without inflammation. Okay, there's that rare exception. But why aren't they absorbing sodium? You know, mm -hmm. and there might be inflammation in the gut. Who knows? But everything that comes into our office, almost everything is a chronic inflammatory condition, unless it was an accident, of course. Right. So how often do you want to look at the triggers of inflammation as you're dealing with your protocols for whatever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. mm. You always want to stop throwing gasoline on the fire. Sure. Hmm. Right. Well, well, let me ask this. I mean, you were just talking about how increased intestinal permeability can cause all of these systemic diseases and autoimmune diseases and chronic conditions as you're describing. Why do you think this is increasing? The incidence is increasing. Is it how we're preparing our food? Is it the, the lack of recognition that gluten may be a problem? Is it toxins? What do you think is the cause of the, the rising incidence of autoimmunity? That's a really good question. And that's, that's um, literally um, uh, a two hour discussion mm -hmm. with many studies <laughs> to open people's minds. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, in pediatrics, arguably one of the most prestigious journals for children's health in the English language, mm -hmm. they published a policy statement now, a policy statement is, is a message from the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, th this is not one author's opinion or ideas or some work they've done. This is, a, this is an opinion from the board. They want to make sure every pediatrician in the world knows this. And what they said is that the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976, which is still the governing regulations at the federal level for introduction of chemicals into our environment, Mm -hmm. And what they said is it failed miserably to protect our children, and then in parentheses, and adults. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, and they identified 200, and it, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the big number. It's 27 trillion pounds of chemicals manufactured or imported into the United States every year. 27 mm. trillion. Wow. Now take that. And divided by the population of the U.S., 300 plus million, and then divided by 365 days, and it's 247 pounds of chemicals per person per day what? that are now being manufactured or imported into the U.S. What? Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody until you put two and two together and you read the studies from the Environmental Working Group where... Every child that they check, the placental blood at birth, or the, the umbilical cord blood at birth, right. has at least 280 chemicals identified that are not supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And many of them are neurotoxins. Mom is a walking sewage dump. Yeah. Excuse me. You know, I don't mean to be gross, but young girls need to get this. They need to understand that when you put nail polish on your 10 little fingers and 10 little toes, and you do that for 20 years, you start when you're five years old, the phthalates leach into your bloodstream within five minutes. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach out of nail polish into the bloodstream is toxic to humans. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
That's true. There is no evidence. When you learn that if you put leftover chicken in a plastic storage container and put it in the refrigerator and you eat the chicken next day, it's got phthalates in it. Yeah. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates <laughs> that you got leftover food is toxic to humans. It's true. That's how they got away with this, with the Toxic Substance Control Act. You have to prove the exposure level somebody gets from the level of chemical they're exposed to is toxic to them. You can't. It's not. But it's accumulative in the body. Right. Mm-hmm. So give me 20 years of a little girl with her 10 little fingers and 10 little toes. Here's an example. And you can extrapolate this for PCBs and DDT and the, the organochlorines and the mm-hmm. pesticides. But here's a great example. Chicago, 2016, 346 pregnant women in the eighth month of pregnancy. They collect the urine. They check them for five phthalates. Now, there are many, many phthalates, but they only checked five. One of them was BPA, bisphenol A. And they categorized the results into fourths, the lowest fourth, the next, the third, and the highest fourths. They then followed the offspring of those pregnancy. And when those children turned seven years old, they did Wexler IQ tests on all those kids, the official IQ test. There's not much in medicine that's all or every. This was every. Every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates and urine in the eighth month of pregnancy, compared to the children born from mothers in the lowest quartile of phthalates um, in urine in the eighth month of pregnancy, every child in the highest quartile, whose mother was in the highest quartile, their IQ was seven points lower. Hmm. Every one of them. Hmm. 6.7 to 7.4 points lower. That doesn't mean anything to anybody until you understand that a one-point difference in IQ is noticeable. A seven-point difference is the difference between a kid working really hard, getting straight A's, Mm -hmm. and a kid working really hard, getting straight C's. Mm -hmm. This kid does not have a chance in hell of ever doing well in school, unless you get all that crap out of there and then rebuild stronger brain and nervous system, because now, now just go to Google and type in phthalates and neurogenesis. Here come the studies on phthalates inhibit neurogenesis. Mm -hmm. So the moms who had the highest level of phthalates in urine and pregnancy, their children IQs are seven points lower. Their brains never develop properly to their potential. Now extrapolate that to organochlorines, extrapolate that to PCBs, extrapolate that to DDT, just go down the line. 280 chemicals in children's bloodstream at birth that aren't supposed to be there. Now, what's the outcome of all this? Autism is not going through the roof exponentially because of vaccines. And to every clinician out there, don't ever say that. You sound like a nutcase. Because if that were true, every child who gets vaccines would be autistic. Hmm. That's not the case. But there's lots of science that says Vaccines and the adjuvants and vaccines may take a child over the edge. It may be the last straw, the camel that breaks the uh, the the straw that breaks the camel's back. It may be the last straw for that child's inflammatory cascade, mm-hmm. and the immune system starts getting active and attacking the brain. That's rational and possible and worth exploring, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not the vaccines. What is it? Why, are, why is autism going through the roof? Why is it Blue Cross Blue Shield came out last year, February of 2020, with a document, an eight-page, nice brochure-looking document that said between 2013 and 2017, in four years, there was a 407% increase in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's in 30 to 45-year-olds. Wow. wow. In four years, do you guys understand what's happening to us? Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. all being polluted. We're all walking sewage dumps. And we oh, I don't feel bad. I'm fine. Okay, we'll put that on your tombstone. You know, I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You know, it's so overwhelming to think about. But for our clinicians out there, we have to be thinking about this. And we have to think about how are we going to put programs together? to educate our patients on detoxing and that it's not something you do every spring. It's something you do every day. Yeah. How are we going to do that? 
And every clinician needs, I mean, I started using the detoxigenomic profile when it first came out in the, uh, I think it was in the 90s. I think it was in the early, I'm not sure when it came out. Mm -hmm. And it is so many people have SNPs that suggest inhibition of glutathione function. So many people, I don't know the numbers, maybe 30% of the tests that I run show those uh, genetic SNPs for glutathione. And there's so many other markers that we need to look at, right? So we, we have to take the time to develop our detoxification protocols. It'll take you six months to really dial this down. Who cares how long it takes? Right. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you just spend an hour a week learning a little bit more about this kind of thing. Okay, I'll pause now. <laughs> no, this, I mean, Gluten, toxins, this I mean, fantastic. this is great. <laughs> and like, right now, you know, I can see where half of the clinicians that are listening are familiar and are, you know, fired up as they should be. Mm-hmm. And then then everyone who is not a clinician is probably panicking. So I guess <laughs> I, I love the fact of... As, as long as they're panicking... And they're not just dismissing this yeah. because, you know, they, they're for uh, capital punishment. Right. And so right. if the study is for it, I'm for it. Right. If the study is against capital, that's nonsense. Oh, that's just nonsense. That guy's <laughs> exaggerating. Right. No, he's not. Right. Yeah. No, Read the yes. scale of it is is just it's shocking. And, and the way that you laid it out is so perfect because you're right. I think so many people are walking around. They're thinking, yeah, you know, environmental toxicity is probably a problem. But, you know, for the most part, I'm doing OK. I'm trying to right. be mindful, you know, and it's just or I'm eating gluten and I feel my stomach right. is fine. There's nothing wrong. You're with fine. Me. Yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. And and it's sort of well, we'll give it a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I, I guess getting back to kind of the gluten conversation, too, because so much what we're doing as clinicians is we're trying to rule in, rule out celiac disease, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And it sounds like you might have a given everything that you've studied a, a kind of a different perspective on that in general and, and maybe, you know, gluten avoidance for all people. I, I'm wondering what your comments are on that, I guess. Yeah, I never say everyone needs to give up wheat. I absolutely never say that. If I do, I sound like a nutcase. Mm-hmm. But what I do say is that everyone that has a health concern that's not rectified needs to test to see, do I have a problem with wheat? Mm -hmm. And the more comprehensive the test, the better. But my rule of thumb is test, don't guess. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. some people want to go gluten-free. Okay, you know, you'll probably feel better. You'll lose some weight. You know, you'll Mm -hmm. cut down your inflammation. That's great. That's great. But unless you understand this, uh, that's why the CGP program is so important. Only 8% of celiacs heal on a gluten-free diet. Mm -hmm. Only 8%. Why? Because they're still inflamed. They've got increased intraepithelial lymphocytosis. They've got high IELs, intraepithelial lymphocytes. Why? Because they're inflamed, because their microbiome is so out of balance. And leaky gut doesn't happen by what you eat. Leaky gut happens by the accumulation of how you've eaten over time, Mm -hmm. what kind of a microbiome you've developed, Mm -hmm. which sets the stage for the inflammation in the lumen of the intestines. Right. And then something can take you over the edge and you feel worse that day. But you, you don't get leaky gut from eating a slice of whole wheat bread. You get leaky gut from a lifetime of eating foods that feed a dysbiotic microbiome. That is why in the largest study ever done on mortality and celiac disease, uh, they looked at 39,000 celiacs. This was in Sweden. They've you know, got socialized medicine. They have records on everybody. Mm-hmm. And they looked at 39,000 celiac. No, they looked at 336,000 um, uh, uh, endoscopies and biopsies. So people who were referred for an endoscopy biopsy. Right. Mm-hmm. In that group, they found 39,000 celiacs. So they followed that 336,000 uh, people for 25, 30 years, including the celiacs. How many of them died? What did they die from, right? So they had all this data. And what they found that if you're diagnosed with celiac disease, you have an 86% increased risk compared to the other 300,000 people in this group of dying within the first year of a cardiovascular incident. Wow. If if you're diagnosed with celiac. Right. Now, why would that happen? Well, what do you do when you're diagnosed with celiac? You put them on a gluten-free diet. What else do you do? Nothing. 
and you increase their risk of death by 86% in the first year of a cardiovascular incident compared to the other 300,000 people. And it was a 3.86, that's how I can remember because 8686, 3.86 fold, so almost 400% increased risk of death in the first year from cancer after a diagnosis of celiac. Why? Because 78 to 81% of the prebiotic in the Western diet is wheat. And when people give up wheat, which may be a really good thing for them to do, they don't understand that you have to counsel your patients to really focus on a variety of prebiotics, Mm -hmm. many different prebiotics, because your, your probiotics in your gut developed over a lifetime has been dependent on the food from wheat, the prebiotic, the arabinoxylans in wheat. But wait, you've just taken wheat out for good reason, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Okay, how how are you going to replace it? With gluten-free crap, excuse Mm -hmm. me. But there's no fiber, there's no prebiotic, there's no enrichment of nutrients in gluten-free foods. Now, I'm half Italian, and I'm going to eat gluten-free pasta once in a while. (laughs) Live with it. I'm just going to do it, right? But I know the precautions. I have to take the digestive enzymes because of the contamination issues and all of that. Mm -hmm. But you have to teach your patients a critical component of their daily food selections are prebiotics. So, Mrs. Patient, every time you go buy food, always buy organic. There are many reasons why. Mm -hmm. But buy a couple of every root vegetable in the store. Get turnips, parsnips, rutabaga, radishes, sweet potatoes, carrots, not too many white potatoes because of glycemic index, but white potatoes. And you have at least one root vegetable every day because the fibers of every root vegetable feed different families of probiotics in your gut. They're prebiotics. Mm -hmm. Then you go to Google that great library in the sky, and you type in (laughs) list of prebiotic foods, and you print it out, Mrs. Patient, and you put it on your refrigerator, and you'll find out a banana is a prebiotic. Onions are a prebiotic. And you use two from the list and one root vegetable every day. Then you're building, you've initiated the process, the first step in building a diverse, healthy microbiome. Mm. critically important because people die in a year. So you put them on a gluten-free diet, they lose 30 pounds in the first three, four months, their thyroid's back to normal within eight months, the thyroid antibodies down to normal, you think you've done your job, and about 10 months, 12 months, a year and a half later, they die of a heart attack. Mm. You say, oh, that's too bad. Mm. And you you don't know that you set that up by putting them on a gluten-free diet. I love that because we always, like when we hear about intestinal permeability or celiac, you know, we go gluten-free, we do gut healing protocols. But I know even Dr. Alessio Fasano, who is kind of, you know, very well known as it relates to celiac, talks about how, you know, celiac disease requires three things, the genetic component, the intestinal permeability, and gluten, right? And so oftentimes you'll test, you remove gluten, and we always go to healing the leaky gut. But I've never heard anyone lay that out, that need for various prebiotic foods, which I think is a very important part. Yeah. And it's such a fascinating study because yeah. not just for gluten, but how often do we take things out of people's diets and we don't provide them with the information right. of what to substitute it with. Oh, so there they are. Exactly right. So and, true. you know, I think everyone, if everyone goes back to that 2009 study in JAMA during the American Medical Association by Ludwigsen, 39,000 celiacs, it's just two sentences in this 18-page beautiful <laughs> study, right. but only two sentences about increased mortality in the first year. Everybody mm. just bypassed that. Right. Wow. They don't talk about it. Right. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> wow. What? Wait, let me read that again, <laughs> right? And, and when you read it, your jaw drops. And then you understand you don't heal leaky gut by giving them glutamine. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had so many docs come up to me in my talks, you know, at a break, and they say, I give glutamine. <laughs> <laughs> And they cross their arms and puff their chest. So proud of themselves. For me to give them a high five or something. And I say, well, that's that's great. That's really great. It's an important component. But, you know, glutamine doesn't turn on the genes to heal and the anti-inflammatory genes, the turmeric does. Mm -hmm. Right? Glutamine is a food to rebuild. 
right? And turmeric doesn't turn on the genes that vitamin D does. You need the pleiotropic approach in terms of supplements, but the critical thing that too many people don't take into consideration, you have to rebuild the microbiome. Mm. It's a pathogenic microbiome. If they've got a chronic inflammatory disease, they've got a pathogenic microbiome. We call it dysbiosis and then just kind of forget about it. Well, Mm. we'll give some glutamine or, you know, I'll give a couple of supplements for that or, you know, I'll give a, I'll give some probiotics that'll take care of it. No, it won't. Yeah. 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 Can I ask a basic question (laughs) just to kind of clarify your explanation of the clinical differences between celiac disease, a wheat allergy, and then non-celiac gluten sensitivity for some of our audience who may not be aware? Sure, sure. The, the easy, the, well, two of them are easier. Uh, celiac disease is the only autoimmune disease, slam dunk, we're very clear what the environmental trigger is. Mm-hmm. And it's wheat, not just gluten. There are other components of wheat that will trigger it, but we're all accustomed to saying gluten. Um, uh, wheat allergy is an IgE response. That's a hypersensitivity immediate response of your immune system. And that's about one out of a thousand. Celiac is somewhere between one and four out of a hundred. So it's 10 times more common Mm -hmm. than wheat allergy. Now in Italy, they've got 36 centers designated by the government as gluten related disorder centers. And if you get a diagnosis from one of those centers of a wheat-related disorder, your food's a tax deduction. So the the pediatricians, the general practitioners, the orthopods, anyone that thinks wheat may be a problem for their patient, they send them to one of these centers. I think there's 26 that are gastroenterology, three or four that are pediatric, a couple that are allergy centers, one psychiatry center. But they send them to these centers for the diagnosis. And they say, People who were referred to them, they looked at thousands, and I don't remember the number, but they, they look at thousands of patients who were referred to them, the secondary center, specialty center, 93% of them have non-celiac wheat sensitivity. 7% have celiac. Hmm. So when that's the closest that I've seen in the literature, you know, we see these studies, that, well, 6% of the population has Um, uh, gluten sensitivity. Well, that was uh, estimated uh, in the early 2000s. And in my practice, you know, when you run the the tests, uh, no, it's a little bit more than that. It's Mm -hmm. quite a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a study back in 1998. And it was research only testing at that time. I did IgG, IgA, IgM, to gliden, alpha gliden, mm-hmm. luteomorphins, the whole wheat molecule, casomorphins, milk butyrophilins, corn, soy, egg, myelin basic protein, gangliosides, and cerebellum. Mm-hmm. So I did this huge test with the lab. Uh, my cost was $530 for that test. The patient's cost $530. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't want to do the test, I I had a sheet printed out. This was every new patient, 316 consecutive new patients from two years old to 90 years old, irrespective of what they presented, it didn't matter. I did this test. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't want to do the test, I gave them the sheet that here's the name of three doctors in the air. They're really good doctors. I'm sure they'll be able to help you. Very nice to meet you. No, 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 I want to say, I'm sorry, I'm doing this research and okay, I'll do the test, I'll do the test. And so they did the test. 68% of everyone that came in had elevated antibodies to one of the peptides of wheat. Hmm. 68% of everyone. Now, these are people who have a health complaint. So it's not the general population. It's Mm -hmm. in office. Mm -hmm. Of those people, 26% of them had, uh, if they were positive to wheat, 26% of them had elevated antibodies to cerebellum. 22% had elevated antibodies to myelin basic protein. So there you've got the connection of the autoimmune mechanism because Mm -hmm. of molecular mimicry. Wow. And we we now know the science much better than back then. I just saw these numbers and went, holy cow. Now your cerebellum is the area that controls muscle movement throughout your body, right? Yeah. So how many 70-year-olds do you know that can dance up and down the stairs? Right. I mean, it doesn't happen because their cerebellum has been shrinking over a lifetime for many of them. 
and you say, well, you know, I'm not quite so steady. Well, there's nothing wrong with their muscles. It's their balance. It's their coordination. The proprioception going up to the proprioception center in the brain is not connecting, right? And that that's an autoimmune mechanism over a lifetime. If it gets really bad, we call it gluten ataxia. And just Google gluten ataxia and you read the studies and you go, oh my God, this is not celiacs. No, this is not celiacs. These mm-hmm. are people with gluten sensitivity and the weak link in their chain. Uh, they may feel fine when they eat wheat, mm-hmm. meaning they don't have any GI complaints. They had an autoimmune mechanism attacking their cerebellum. My goodness. And, and the, there's, there's so many studies on this. That's why everybody should do my CGP course. I'm sorry to be promoting <laughs> no. it. You know? But this is life-changing information. This is not just a new tool of a couple of different vitamins you might recommend. This is life-changing yeah. for people. When, when, when you get this and you get the significance of this and the frequency of this, it's an OMG. Right, right. right. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> and I've just, I'm very thankful because like Patty will say, I would come in every morning with a bagel. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so thankful that I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) He doesn't do it anymore. Well, I will say the glutensummit.com is your 30-hour downloadable masterclass of the world's expert on all things gluten and gluten-related disorders. And, you know, our audience is mainly clinicians, but there are also a huge contingency of patients out there. Is there something for everyone in that, or is it really highly clinical? What can they expect when they buy that program? Oh, my goodness. When you hear Mark Houston, the director of the Hypertension Institute at Vanderbilt, say, talk about wheat sensitivity and the endothelium of your blood vessels and the inflammation that wheat causes and then the downstream mechanisms of what happens as a result of that. Or you hear the godfather. The first interview I did, uh, we went to Oxford, England. I interviewed Professor Michael Marsh, the godfather of celiac disease. You know, Mm. if you do an endoscopy, the report is March 1, March 2, March 3. Mm-hmm. This is March. And he had never, never been interviewed, ever. Wow. And he was in his 70s now, really a wonderful man, took me in his arm and just walked me around Oxford and said, Tom, this is where I stood on stage to receive my medical degree in 1962. Wow. I said, oh, that's wonderful, Professor. <laughs> and he took me down into the bowels of the library where, and that's where I sat every day to study. You know, that, mm-hmm. and, but you hear him talk about gluten sensitivity without celiac disease and the cases that he saw again and again and again, it, it, it just gives you pause. It really mm-hmm. gives you pause. Or you hear David Perlmutter talk about the inflammation in the brain in non-celiacs when they eat wheat. And you hear this again and again. It, 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 it's, it's an OMG again and again, mm-hmm. you know, and you listen to it when you're doing your walking exercise or on your treadmill or when you're driving your car, you know, it's just, it's, it's game changing. Mm-hmm. And we've had so many thousands of emails over the years uh, since we did the gluten summit, just thanking us and saying, you know, and I get stopped, I get stopped in airports. And it used to be really awkward. I didn't know what to do, but now now I know how to handle it. You know, I go through TSA, and I'm on the other side and putting my shoes on and all that. Somebody walks up and says, you're Dr. Tom. <laughs> the gluten guy. <laughs> I said, yes. And she starts crying. Hmm. And she says, you saved my daughter's life. Wow. And I've, hear, I've heard that. Time after time after time. And it used to make me really uncomfortable, you know. But now I know, mm-hmm. thanks to Jeff Bland. I said, Jeff, what do you do with this? You know, and now I know. I look him in the eye and I say, How is that for you? <laughs> and you give him and wow. you give him two minutes. Wow. And they go, Oh, and then they just go butter, 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 butter. I said, Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank yeah. you. You've made my day. Thank you so much. I forgot your plane, but thank you so much. You know, and you've just validated them and kind of blessed them on their way, mm-hmm. you know. And but it's not me. Yeah. It's all of those speakers sharing from their heart what they've discovered over a lifetime of research. Yeah. Wow. 
profound. It's so profound. And I mean, I just can't thank you enough for coming on. And and certainly people can check out not only the glutensummit.com, but your book, The Autoimmune Fix, which mm. has just been widely praised, is is equally life-changing right. to so many patients. Right. Um, and just thank you so much. I I mean, I kind of want to ask you if we can have you back on sometime because <laughs> I still we have like questions. millions of questions, <laughs> but we're also very busy. So you know, it's my pleasure. I, I would love to. I mean, uh, my my passion in life is to carry this message out. And what, what I'm doing is passing on what my mentors gave me, uh, yeah. from Dr. Goodhart to Dr. Bland, uh, Jonathan Wright. Mm-hmm. I'm just these pioneers who had the courage to, to do the footwork and read the studies, you know, or be in the trenches. Mm-hmm and then talk about it in a way that I could understand. And so my goal is to just talk about this stuff in a way that hopefully most people can understand. I love yeah. it. It's so important. Well, so you certainly important. have done that, and we can't thank you enough. Before we let you go, though, Dr. O'Brien, we do have one last question that's a little bit off topic that we end our shows with, and I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Oh, this has, yeah, this is a question that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> um, but we're just curious about people and what makes them tick. So do you happen to have a favorite wild animal? A favorite wild animal? My favorite wild animal, um, the cheetah. Wow. Uh-huh. Nice. Good one. <laughs> I like that. Why? Fast runner. Got it. Okay, that's all <laughs> and, you need. That's it. And most of my life, I ran from my own inner oh. truth. Oh, I just wow. ran, and I didn't have the guts to to speak my truth. Now, now I uh, I probably move more like a rhino. <laughs> not, not, not really. <laughs> but um, I'm, I still... Uh, move fast, but uh, I've learned to speak my truth, and hopefully it'll resonate with others in some way for them. I yeah. love it. Well, thanks, Dr. O'Brien, and everyone go to thedoctor.com, go to theglutensummit.com, and check out his book, The Autoimmune Fix, and we're honored to have had you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Wow, my head is spinning. He's yeah. certainly passionate. Think about all those chemicals. That's a lot of chemicals. I can't even think about it. It's, yeah, it's it's one of those numbers that you can't wrap your mind around. But a favorite animal is a cheetah. Interesting. spent his life running away from his inner truth. Interesting. It's very fascinating. i got to unpack all of this. Next time on The Lab Report, stock tips from Michael Chapman. Hmm. If he doesn't get electrocuted removing a circuit breaker. Either way, it's going to be shocking. (laughs) Yeah, see what I did there? I saw that. It's pretty terrible. Yep. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. I mean, I I did constantly say they were gluten-free bagels. You did. You did. I mean... Though- there is cross contamination. I'm sure those things were totally contaminated, and the cream cheese I was putting on there hmm. was from a, you know, an establishment. We'll say. How so. do you sort out gluten free? That's so tricky. You know, it's got to be hard. You can't. I think that's what he was saying. Yeah. Plus, it's like trying to sort out all the toxins. <laughs> Overwhelmed. <laughs>